Shall we pray? Almighty, holy, righteous God, in gratitude we present ourselves anticipating the touching of thy hand, the conviction of thy spirit, the power of thy word throughout this entire week. We pray, Lord, that each and every one of us may arise and shine to give glory to God. Amen. Let us turn to God's word found in Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great." In the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the other most farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell." And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. I was thankful this evening that in my first advisor's meeting, one of the older brothers, and I use the term very fondly, open with a prayer. 
And I was thankful for the words that he said. He said, Lord, that your name may be glorified and that your name may be praised. And you see, that's why we're here, isn't it? To praise and glorify God. And I was thankful for that prayer because the scripture passage came to mind. And you know, when I first heard about the camp theme, Arise, Shine, I thought, oh, so simplistic, so trite, so brief, and yet so full of power. What is it about light? Are we going to go back to chemistry class and speak about the photons and how light works? Or electricity? Maybe someone else might this week. What is it about light that is so special? You know, I think back upon Genesis chapter 1. What is the first thing that God had created? It is light, and God said, let there be light. And he said, it is good. What do we have to do with light anyway? After all, didn't Christ say, I am the light of the world? John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Go on into John chapter 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What is the contrast that Christ is speaking of today? Because after all, he just said that he is the light. But wait a minute, brother. Didn't we just read? Christ is saying, you are the light. Let me reread this verse in chapter 9. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Did you get that? What is Christ saying? What is he saying? Well, what he is saying is this. As long as I am here, as long as I am the world, I am that light. But you see, one day I am leaving. And you disciples are going to be remaining. And when you remain, you will be that light that is going to illuminate the world. I'd like to bring about three principles this evening. Because I want to illustrate the point that Christ is making. I want to illustrate that which he is trying to speak to us this evening. We're going to identify a problem and we'll implement the solution. What is the point of all of this? So we are lights. I have to think of a verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. 
Listen to what the Apostle Paul says, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that ye may shine as lights in the world. And Christ says, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. What is he trying to get at? Loved ones, we are that light, but I fear that in this day that our lights are going dim. You see, he said that a light that is on a hill cannot be hid. How is that light hid? You think of the Sunday school song that we sing, that I used to sing. Put it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We have that memorized, and we sang it with fervor. And as children, we sang, no, I'm going to let it shine. But as believers in the body of Christ, have we let our our light shine? Or is our light growing dim in this world? Where do we stand before God? You know, we're going to be speaking to two groups of people this evening. Some may say it's the saints and the ain'ts. Or, or maybe it's the saved and the unsaved, which is a, another terminology, but I'll say it's the saved and the lost because we fit either in one of those two categories. Where do we stand before God in our lights? And I want you to think back upon today. I want you to think back upon a few days ago. I want you to think back upon your lives even a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And ask yourself a question. Have I let that light, that reflection, shine? Because that's what light is. It is a reflection And as Christians, we are a reflection of the glory of God. And it is the glory of God that matters. It isn't so that we can be illuminated. It isn't so that we can be put on a pedestal somewhere. It isn't so that people can praise us and say, look at that. Look at that. What a wonderful Christian. And maybe they do that. But is Christ glorified and honored? Or do they look at us and see something different? Something other than the light that we're supposed to portray? I fear that's the case in many churches today. You know, we're, we're so... Focused upon guilt today. We don't want to make people feel guilty. Guilt doesn't make us feel good. It points a finger at us. You know, I have to think of the the Swiss philosopher Rousseau, who was so upset with the thought of guilt and how it was created. What Rousseau said was, 
all the laws and mores of today's society, all of the restrictions that are placed upon us, you see, it creates guilt. That isn't good because man is essentially good. And it's those restrictions that are placed upon him that make him bad. But you know, that isn't the way it is at all. Man is essentially bad, and restrictions make him tolerable, don't it? But we don't like to be confined. We don't like to be confined by the restrictions that God has placed upon us. We do everything we can to do away with guilt. I'll never forget, as part of the training that I had, to work in a psych ward, And I watched some of the extreme measures in which people have developed to try to remove guilt. I remember one middle-aged man who walked around with his head down because he couldn't look you in the face. You see, he's what physicians have called refractory to medication. There was no antipsychotic medication that could help him to lift his mood, to elevate his spirits. And what they did was something called electroconvulsive therapy. And they strapped him down onto a board. And through his veins flowed a medicine to relax his body. And then I witnessed something that was near as I could tell to being fried in an electric chair where his body went into spasms after the electric shocks were given. And you see, what psychotherapists tell us is that what electroconvulsive therapy does, number one, is to alleviate guilt. And number two, alleviates the guilt of sin. Does that work? I asked him. Once he got up, once he was awakened, you see, he lost his memory for a short period of time. And when I talked to him, he said, yeah, it works just for a short period of time, but you know, it all comes back. It all comes back and I can't get rid of it. There are some here this evening who are guilty. You're guilty of sin. And it is sin that has dimmed your light and has not allowed it to shine. That is the point that Christ is making. What is the problem that we need to identify? What is the very problem? For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, there was a saying back in those days that if there were only two people who should enter heaven, only two, one would be a Pharisee and one would be a scribe. And Christ was speaking to righteous-appearing people. 
He was speaking to those who had all the religiosity of the day. He was speaking to those who should have been a light to the world. He was speaking to those who perhaps were known for being in the upper echelons of of their religious beliefs and example. But Christ said, except if ye exceed that, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. As I look around, and I visited congregations, and I'm thankful to have been able to do that. But you see, I see a pattern time and time again. I see a pattern of when when believers are asked to gather together in prayer meetings, I see only a handful. And I have to think, Lord, where are those who are the light? And we are asked to gather together in Bible classes and to hear the lessons and the teachings, and I see a handful of people, and I think, Lord, where are those who are to be a light? And I see those who are asked to volunteer. And I'm thankful for those that do. Because many times you do so and you're never thanked. But out of the many, where are the volunteers? I asked you to go back a few days ago to your life. Where do you stand before God? There are some of you who are clothed in all the right clothing. You act the way you think you ought to act. You go to the youth group meetings because it's the right thing to do. You have your parents fooled. Because in your heart lies what the Bible calls sin. That is the problem. And Christ says, Ye have heard, it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. What is Christ saying? He's saying it's a matter of the heart. You say, well, wait a minute, brother. My heart tells me I'm okay. My heart tells me I'm all right. My heart tells me I'm fine with God. Do you really want to trust your heart? Because Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My wife and I had a a chance to travel to Europe. I saw something very, very interesting that I'd never seen before. As we were traveling through these ancient buildings, there were many people who were lined up to, to see these beautifully built cathedrals, some built in the 1500s. And there were lines of people who were waiting to get inside. And before you enter... There were a couple of guards. I thought, well, that's very unusual. For guards to be outside a, a church building. And so I took a closer look, and what they were doing is to making sure that those who would enter in were worthy to enter in by being appropriately clothed. And if they weren't, 
Over on the side, you could buy a a large scarf or a shawl. One pretty little gal came up to the guard, batted her eyelashes at him, gave him a quick smile, despite her being very immodestly clothed. The only thing he could say was, Madam, it is impossible. There is the exit. In the same line, I saw what I thought was a beautiful sight. You see, in the same line, there was a wonderful-looking family. Oh, he was smartly dressed and clothed. She had a beautiful designer dress on. The two children were smartly groomed, appeared well-behaved. But then I heard some commotion. Because what they were doing was cutting in line in front of other people. And some would make such a commotion that they had to leave the line, but all they would do was go forward and cut in front of somebody else. You see, some of you present yourselves before God just as you are, as immodest as you may be, in all what you think is your innocence, and you smile and flash your eyes at God, and God will say, your line is over there. And some are clothed with good apparel, and outwardly seem to be wonderful, righteous and pure, but inside you're obstinate and self-righteous. Is your light going dim before God? And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. But be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Loved ones, where do we stand before God? You may think, brother, you're right. I just, I failed. And I failed miserably. You see, because my family life isn't right. My relationship with my spouse isn't right. I've disrespected my parents. I'm living right now in immorality. Where is your light? The problem is it is an issue of the heart. And you trust your heart, and you trust your instincts, and you trust one of your buddies. To have told you, you're okay. Everybody does it. It's fine. Loved ones, God demands a higher standard of us. Let our light so shine. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. 
I think of a, a number of brothers in a book that I'd read, Choosing to Suffer Affliction. And I don't mention it to elevate them, but there is, a, there is an, an interesting event that was personally told to me by one of those brothers. He said, you know, I was in prison for my faith because I refused to bear arms and kill. And I was in this prison wondering why God put me here. But eventually, he said, I befriended one of the guards of the prison. And his brother became so trustworthy that the guard would give him a sack of money and let him go outside the prison walls to buy food for the rest of the prisoners. And he came back and he gave him change because he found the best prices. And the guards were saying, who in the world are these Nazarenes? But you know what else it did? It allowed them to be a light to the prison guard. To the point where he asked for a Bible in that darkened prison cell. The guard said, I will get you a Bible. I'll get you a Bible, but you can't tell anybody. Or I'll be shot. They let their lights shine. Though they were imprisoned, yet they were free. And make no mistake about it, loved ones, I'm not saying that external activities, the things that we do, are going to save us or somehow bring us into favor with God. But we need to understand that we are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And there is a standard that he expects of us. What is the solution that we need to implement in our lives? What is the solution to this thing called sin? To that which is darkening the light of God? If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Is Christ advocating self-mutilation? No, he's not. I believe if he were, there would be a whole, you'd be able to identify the Christians by the one-eyed people walking around or the arms being cut off. Origen, one of the early church fathers, was so bothered by this verse that he attempted self-mutilation. And he realized it doesn't matter because, you see, I can cut out one eye. I have the other one left. I can cut off a hand. I have the other one left. But it's an issue of my heart and where I stand before God. If thy right eye offend thee. Why is he saying the right eye and the right hand? 
Christ is speaking in hyperbolic terms. And he's speaking in that language that people would have understood because the right eye and the right hand were valuable. They were important. And people understood that. And what is he saying is, if I write, I offend thee. The word offend, scandalizo. It's a word that means a trap door. If there is something that is trapping you, Christ is saying, cut it off. And not just cut it off, but cast it away from you. And there are some here who don't like to do that. You don't do that at all because you find sin fun, thrilling. But Christ says, Let not your whole body be cast into hell. What are we speaking of this evening? I pray that as we can look back upon our lives and we see that we haven't done as we ought to have done, that the relationships that are broken and need to be mending are mended, that the deception that lies in here is brought forth to the light. John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, confess homo logeo, logeo, to say, Homo the same. To say the same thing. To say the same thing is what? To say the same thing that God says about our sin. To agree with God that, Lord, here is where I stand. Here is where I stand as a sinner before you. Or here is where I stand as a Christian before you. And haven't been the light that I ought to be. I think of a short poem that the poet had said, two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, the other blessed. One I love, one I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. And I pray that, especially this week, that as we focus upon arising and shining for God, that we would feed our spiritual inner man that will bring us closer to him. Pray that we got the point and the problem and that we don't leave this place even this night without implementing this solution.